You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What is up, everybody? Wednesday, September 29th, 7.30. The Staple Show, the live show, Shout, a Buffalo Bills football podcast brought to you by Pops Friendly Markets, your neighborhood store with more. Whether you're celebrating at home or away, this weekend, Tops has all your fan favorites ready to enjoy for football and occasion. Make sure you head over to Tops Friendly Markets this weekend. The Bills hosting the Houston Texans, Ryan Talbot. Uh, we're not going to get too much into that. So maybe some early thoughts. We're going to kind of put a bow on, you know, what we went back and watched with the Washington football team this past Sunday, the Bills dominant victory. We're going to talk a little bit about Josh Allen. I want to get into this offensive line a little bit. Uh, we can also get to the defense because one thing I, I've noticed too, looking about looking on social media, still th- seems to think that there's some contempt for lack of a better word for Tremaine Edmonds. I think that there might be a little bit of a disconnect there. I think we could get into him a little bit, but a lot of different things. How are you, my friend? Hey, I'm doing great. And you know, I'm looking forward to that conversation because you're right. Uh, Everyone's praising Matt Milano and rightfully so he's been outstanding playing at all pro level through the first three games, but there's also been a lot of bashing on Tremaine Edmonds and little things that, that, that fans are kind of noticing on given plays. So I think that's a good conversation to have tonight, Matt. Yeah, we did a we put out a little mailbag uh, question on on Twitter, so we got some fun topics from there that we'll hit as we go throughout the the, the podcast. Uh, but you know, the big news of the week or of the day, I should say, the last Josh Allen uh, named the AFC Offensive Player of the Week. I don't know if there was a, a a lot of drama around it after he went for five touchdowns uh, against the Washington Football Team. And you know, one trend that continued, Ryan, in that game. I'm doing a story on Stefan Diggs. We talked to him today. I asked him, Manuel Sanders had a huge game. Cole Beasley had a huge game. You know, three straight games now where it's just been, you know, under 100 yards for Stefan Diggs, something that, you know, happened a couple times last year. Three game stretches where no, with no 100 yard games, but it never got to a fourth. So I kind of wanted to see where his head was at. And he was like, listen, I'm not pressing. I'm not worried. When it's my time to shine, I'm going to shine. Don't don't get it twisted. But there's so many players now on this team that can make plays like we saw for Josh on Sunday. Everywhere he went, Dawson Knox being a reliable target. And, you know, uh, Stefan Diggs called him a country boy today and uh, had some fun with him a little bit like that. But, you know, he emphasized the athletic traits that we've talked about with Knox over and over again. If Dawson Knox is going to be that guy that we saw on Sunday consistently, this offense goes to the next level. Yeah, absolutely. And, and listen, you mentioned Dawson Knox. There's Cole Beasley. There's Emmanuel Sanders, who's been unbelievable. And and the run game. The, this run game through three games looks a lot better than it did throughout last season, minus maybe that first Patriots game where they leaned on the run. So there's been a lot of offensive talent, a lot of offensive output. And, and if these guys keep performing, the players around Diggs, like you said, his time to shine will be coming. There'll be less pressure on him, maybe less attention given to him, especially the way Sanders has been playing Beasley. Uh, you know, he, he's high up there in terms of the league leaders and receptions. So, the, you know, the, the ball will eventually get to Diggs. He's going to put up some big stats here sooner rather than later, in my opinion. Wouldn't be shocked if one of those big games comes this weekend. 
he was talking about some of the things the teams do are doing right now, Stefan did. And I think this just kind of goes in line with what I want to talk about as a takeaway from the Washington game. They only blitzed five times, Ryan, the, the Washington football teams. That, that's even less than Pittsburgh did in week one. I think they ended up blitzing seven or eight times, maybe six times in the kind of same ballpark. Now, Miami was in the double digits, but they're a little bit more of an aggressive style. I think even though they wanted to be careful and, and get things, you know, situated in their coverage packages, you know, th- they still tend to send more pressure with Flores. So I wasn't surprised to see that discrepancy, but we saw, you know, if teams are going to, you know, rely on that pass rush against Josh Allen, most of the time, I know that the Pittsburgh Steelers had a lot of success in week one. He's chic. What he's able to do when he's able to get into his drop back, climb the pocket, evade the pocket and kind of play, uh, you know, bumper cars back there you know, a little bit, you know, just, you know, dipping and diving out of the way of traffic. And, and Dig says he's noticed that, you know, teams are trying to take him away. And when they do that, well, you, then you got Emmanuel Sanders who showed and proved without a shadow of a doubt on Sunday. You do that to my buddy Diggs and I'm going to beat you. I'm going to make scoring plays. I'm going to get first downs. I'm going to play a physical brand of style. And I almost feel like in a weird way, the Bills might have stumbled onto something that when Diggs is taken out of a game, you go back to Kansas City last year. He ended up with what, five catches, six catches for 77 yards. You know, the, the Kansas City Chiefs were able to limit him in that game. And I almost feel like maybe that's where the blueprint started, you know, how to attack this Bill's offense, is passing game. Well, now you take him away. There's not a passive John Brown on the other side that you can maybe get physical with and take out of the game. you got a guy in Emmanuel Sanders who's going to be almost like the light version of Stephon Diggs, and you know he's producing at a high level right now. Yeah, and then that's the perfect answer for what the problem was at the end of last year. You have Emmanuel Sanders who's producing two games in a row that he's catching balls down the field from Josh Allen, but he's just been a reliable target altogether. You'll still have Cole Beasley in the slot. You mentioned Dawson Knox already. So when they try to take away your best weapon, it's up to the Bills to find those other players and Josh Allen to find those other guys. And, and listen, you know the, the blueprint that Pittsburgh used in week one, Washington had the talent up front to get the job done. But when you look at the rest of the schedule, the rest of the year, there's very few teams where I feel like if you look all the way across that defensive line can match up in terms of the talent level of the Pittsburghs of the world, the Washingtons of the world. So I think eventually teams are going to have to get away from that. We're just going to go with our, our top four guys up front, not going to send any heat. Some other teams have to send heat. They just don't have the talent up front that Pittsburgh has, that Washington has. So it's going to be really interesting to see throughout the year. And part of that too is, you're getting reps. You're getting live game reps against that strategy. And so over time, I feel like Brian Dable is going to make adjustments to that. Josh Allen's going to get more comfortable playing in that. And you can almost see a little bit of that going back and watching that Washington game. He was going through his reads a little bit crisper. He seemed a little bit more, you know, read to read, more deliberate with the ball. He got the ball out of his hands quicker. I mean, there was a couple of plays where it was just like, bink, bink, bink. And you could just see the look on his face in between plays where he walked up to the line of scrimmage. And you're like, oh, okay, this... It, this makes sense. This is ha- happening at a, at a quicker rate, and I'm starting to see things that maybe he was missing early on. Yeah, and, and you know, there's one throw that comes to mind, and it wasn't anything spectacular. It was a four-yard throw to Cole Beasley uh, where he rifled this pass in between two defenders. So he is realizing, okay, I might have to get the ball a little bit faster on this drop back. Uh, I'm going to trust my guy to win those matchups. I'm going to trust my arm strength to squeeze those those passes in. That touchdown to Emmanuel Sanders in the back of the end zone. Uh, watching it live, you didn't appreciate maybe just just how hard of a pass that was in terms of the defenders around him. You know, Allen has that right mix uh, of smarts and intelligence and arm talent to win, so it's starting to come together. And like you said, getting these live reps against teams that are trying to take out Stefan Diggs, well, one, it's going to give Brian Dable and company some opportunities to figure out how to unleash Diggs despite other teams trying to do that, but it's also going to get that trust developed in these other receivers on this team. Good question here from Scott Blakely. Uh, shout out to Sarah Holland, who is in the chat for you guys tonight. Uh, but he's asking about the health of Gabriel Davis. Um, and I, I think that that's definitely a topic uh, that we can discuss here. You know, Gabriel Davis snap count in the last two games has been, you know, it's been kind of eye popping a little bit. He, Him and Dawson Knox were at about 40 ish snaps a piece in week one. I think Gabriel Davis out snapped him. And then now the last two weeks as he's dealing with that ankle injury, you know, Dawson Knox is, I think he got 72 snaps last game or 62 snaps. I can't remember now off the top of my head. I'll go, go back and look at the stats, but you know, he's looking better. Let me get a, um, let me see if I can bring this up on the screen. Uh, Jordan Poyer did not practice today. He's still dealing with the ankle injury that he suffered the other day. 
And then veteran rest days today uh, for Cole Beasley, Mario Addison. And there was one more, Ryan. Which one was it? Uh, vet rest was also for Taiwan Jones. But what, what are your thoughts on, on Gabriel Davis and maybe where he stands in this offense now that they've kind of established something here? And there was a question that came in on this from our buddies at the, the Air Raid Hour over on Buffalo Fanatics that I want to get into in a minute. I'll bring it sure. in a second. Your thoughts. Well, my thoughts are first, he, he, the last game, not this upcoming or this game against Washington, but the last game, he was still really banged up. Uh, I don't want to call him a game time decision because that's not the case, but I feel like he was almost more of a decoy in that Miami game. Fast forward to this week, I think he was getting healthier. He had a big third down conversion early in the game. And then you really didn't hear much uh, from him again for the rest of the game, in fact. I think that when that ankle is 100%, you might see that snap count between Dawson Knox and Gabriel Davis be close to a 50-50 split. There might be some weeks where they like the tight end matchup better, or there might be some weeks where you, you want to change your personnel. So, you know, this is the beauty of it. When you have so many weapons, it's a good problem to have, but there's going to be weeks where guys kind of disappear off the stat sheet where they maybe don't get the kind of reps that you want, and, and I get it. Davis is one of your younger guys, showed a lot of promise last year with seven touchdowns. You you really want to see his game grow. Uh, but right now, the the Bills are thinking Super Bowl. They they want to get the best personnel out there on, on a given week. And when someone's banged up, you know, that's going to limit your snaps on, in any case, no matter who you are. So uh, looking at the question from uh, Judge Mathis and... Tilton, Tilt Money, Dave Tilton. Uh, they do that on uh, Buffalo Fanatics, good buddies. UB alum, Judge Mathis, so uh, in, in, our, in our fantasy league. I don't know if I played him yet this year, but oh, I never even talked trash to you, Ryan. What the heck? What are we doing here? Were you just going to think that we were going to go this whole season and we weren't going to talk about this? We haven't texted about it. We haven't talked about it. Just, you know, in case you, you, you didn't know because you're not looking at our fantasy league and we obviously haven't talked about it. I smacked Ryan a couple weeks ago. In the Dynasty Fantasy League. True. How are you feeling, buddy? Are you okay? Is I'm, everything I'm all right? right? I started slow in a lot of leagues this year, but I, I'm doing, I'm kind of like the, the Bills here. I started out really slow in week one. I'm starting to rebound week two, week three. My, my guys are starting to show some promise. They're, uh, they put that bad week behind them. But yeah, you definitely smacked me in fantasy football. I'm, I'm hoping for a rematch come playoff time. Yeah, I, I'm hoping too, because. I can use all the easy playoff matches that I can get. (laughs) And so, and so I'm looking forward to that as well. My friend, no, I'm just, we, we joke around here. All right. Here's the question from the air raid guys. Uh, When Gabriel Davis is back to full strength, do we roll the bills uh, more of 10 personnel or keep rocking the 11 personnel that has been so successful? If we keep rolling 11, how does that affect everyone's snap share? And I definitely think that, what we've seen these these first three weeks now is that this is a win now season and they're going to lean on Emmanuel Sanders. I, I think that if you're talking about a situation where you're running out three wide receivers and everybody's healthy, Emmanuel Sanders most of the time is going to get those snaps. I'm not discounting the fact that they're gonna they're gonna have, you know, situations where they run out Diggs, Cole Beasley, and Gabriel Davis. But I think if you're asking me what the majority of those eleven personnel looks are going to look like. I think it's going to be uh, Emmanuel Sanders getting the nod over Gabriel Davis, even when he's at 100%. Now, I think they're going to sprinkle in 10. And I want your reaction to this, and I'm going to see if I can get the actual splits up here in a second. Uh, I know Sharp Football does it, and uh, it would be cool context here. But I think they're going to sprinkle in some 10. But I like the 11 options that you have in that personnel grouping. Number one, it puts Dawson Knox on the field, and I think he could be a mismatch as we saw over the weekend. And it also gives you the option to run play action, even when you're in shotgun or pistol that I think that Josh Allen has proven play action, even if they're not running the ball well in a game. I think it's been proven in the league. Now you don't have to run the ball to run play action. I think it immediately makes the defense stop for a second. And usually against this offense's passing attack, they're able to get something going based on those, those quick hitch reactions by the defense. Yeah, that, that quick little pause that defenders have to make when you see the play action or you see the, what you believe could be a handoff, that's just enough for Josh Allen to fire in a pass to Cole Beasley or fire in a pass, uh, a quick pass to Dawson Knox, whomever it may be. So I agree with you. I think that 11 personnel is still the way they're going to go for the majority of the time. Now, mind you, the matchups that they see, if they see there's a weaker secondary, if there's a team that doesn't have a, a pass rush where they feel like, okay, maybe we don't need to back back in the in the backfield to 
uh, protect Josh Allen or staying as an additional blocker. Maybe then you can get a little more multiple, get more of your wide receivers out there. But like you said, this is a championship window, and you want to get your guys out there that are going to give you that best opportunity, and that's Emmanuel Sanders, that's Stephon Diggs. But the beauty of some of these players, like an Emmanuel Sanders, Matt, is, is maybe the Bills start going, uh, keeping their guys fresh as the year goes on. You can kick Sanders inside the slot, have Cole Beasley take a breather on the sideline from time to time. Then all of a sudden, Sanders in the slot, Diggs on one side, maybe you get Gabriel Davis out there. They can mix and match players in and out, keep guys fresh, especially late in the year because we know what happened in that AFC Championship game. Stephon Diggs, torn oblique, Gabriel Davis, a serious ankle injury that made him essentially a game-time decision. And and, uh, the list went on and on. They were so banged up. Cole Beasley, broken leg, obviously. So they were so banged up at that point in the championship game that they were already behind the eight ball. If they can keep guys fresh, keep one another healthy, there's things that they can do in that 11 personnel where you're going to have Sanders out there the majority of the time, but maybe you do kick him inside at one point, get Beasley off the field so Davis can get some reps, and the list goes on and on there. So I agree with you on that. 11 personnel is what works. It allows you to use the play action, and what we've seen from Dawson Knox so far is so promising. You want to see that role stay about where it's at and maybe even get larger as the year goes on. Last year, I think the Bills were only second to Arizona. And I, I know coming out of the gates, they used a lot of 10. They even used some wide receivers in there at times. And I think that, that they're not so much in bulk in, in you know, using it, throwing it a lot of, a lot of the time. It's, it's catching the defense off guard and, and picking your poison, picking your, the time you want to run it. So that'll be interesting to see uh, how that goes moving forward. We'll take some more of those questions as we move along. But one thing I want to get a lo- into before we move on too quickly here, there was a question too on Josh Allen. Let's let's go to him next. But before we do that, let's go to the offensive line because I think that you know you look at a game and you know Josh Allen doesn't get sacked one single time, and then you go back and watch the tape and you say, okay, first things first. My first takeaway from watching that game over, Deion Dawkins looks like he's back. He was outstanding i thought that he did a great job it you know uh he looked he looked quicker he looked quicker to the spot and i think that that's showing you that the conditioning is level is getting up there and you know I, i've loved the way that he's handled it even you know kind of own the fact that the, the opener wasn't his best game but he's worked his tail off to get back to this level and he's looking like the guy that we've come to kind of gotten used to but i think you know you've always started talking there was one real problem area this week. It wasn't John Feliciano. It wasn't even Daryl Williams. Yeah, no, it it was Cody Ford. And, you know, when when you watch the game live, you saw Washington get pressure. (laughs) You saw someone uh, collapse the pocket, make Josh Allen sidestep, step up in the pocket, roll out. But when you're watching live, you you know, we're live tweeting the game, man. We're we're saying what Josh Allen did, what this offense is doing. You're not necessarily watching those one-on-one matchups on the offensive line versus defensive (laughs) line. And that's what the rewatch is for. And when I watched that rewatch, it was Cody Ford, and he was getting beaten early and often and throughout that game. It was a rough outing. It, it was very, it was on par with what we saw from Deion Dawkins in week one, and that's not a good thing by any stretch of the imagination in terms of how often he was beat, how badly he was beat, the fact that he just seemed overwhelmed and overmatched. And listen, I, I've been a big proponent of Cody Ford getting an opportunity <laughs> to show what he can do. And I, I thought he had a one pretty good game. I thought he's been okay one game, and I thought this was a really rough outing. So I'm not sitting here advocating uh, for for the Bills to get rid of this guy or to pull him or to to make some drastic changes over the offensive line, but it was not a promising outing whatsoever. What did you think of his performance? He looked like his confidence level like abruptly dropped early in that game. And he was lunging a lot of the times. Like, I feel like if you're an offensive line, like it almost felt like he was moving in clay or quicksand and he was just kind of like lunging at the guy, throwing his arms out and praying. And I think when you get in that kind of situation, you you know, that's what tends to happen. You tend to, you know, fall forward and the guy blows past you. And we saw that over and over again with Ford during that game. You said you're not ready to move on from from Cody Ford. I agree. I I I don't think the Bills should move on from him. But if this becomes a trend and we start seeing a couple games where he's he's like the weak link and he's struggling, you got Ike Bucker on the bench, you got Ryan Bates on the bench, you got Spencer Brown who you drafted in the third round. How do you foresee this thing shaping up? And you where do you feel like the most logical, like maybe ideal? next step would be if they did decide to go in a different direction. 
You know, that's a great question. And you mentioned a lot of names. You know, let me start with Ryan Bates. I almost feel like Ryan Bates's versatility hinders his ability to win a starting job on this team because the Bills know, hey, if something happens to our center, if something happens to our guard, he can be that spot starter guy. He can come in and play, but it almost knocks him out of the running for starting contention. And, and maybe he's not as good as Cody Ford or like Butker, two guys that have started uh, you know, quite a bit over the last two years, Ford when he's been healthy, and then Butker who took over for Ford last year after that injury. Maybe that is the case, but his versatility almost feels feel like hurts him in terms of getting that opportunity to start. If something were to happen, I think the logical choice would be Ike Butker. Uh, the Bills already know that he can start, that they can trust him, that he has that starting experience. If you start mixing and matching and moving players too much, I don't think that does a lot of good for the chemistry of the offensive line. I don't think it does much good if an injury pops up and then all of a sudden you're playing musical chairs all over again. For instance, you mentioned Spencer Brown. I would love to get Spencer Brown in at right tackle at some point this year, get him some really uh, serious reps because what we've seen in small doses have been pretty promising. He absolutely tossed a Washington defensive lineman last game on one of his reps out there. Uh, so I'd love to see him see his role expand, but that doesn't mean I want to see Daryl Williams get kicked inside to right guard and take over for Ford because <laughs> if Brown gets injured or if he's ineffective, then you're playing musical chairs again. And then just Ford come back. I want it to be pretty simple. If you're going to move Ford out, move Butker in or move Ryan Bates in or see what's out there, because listen, there's already teams uh, wheeling and dealing. We saw CJ Henderson, a former top 10 pick get dealt to Carolina. Uh, there's a running back in Indy, Mac, that, that is uh, on the market. Marla, I believe it's Mac. That's on the market for a trade. So it, maybe there's going to be one of these teams sooner rather than later that's already out of contention here in the next week or two. Maybe they're willing to move a guard, and, and maybe that interests Buffalo if they think this is a good fit for our team. What do you think? First things first, I, I like that idea of maybe going outside of the organization and bringing somebody in. You know, you, you saw Ian Rappaport tweet out yesterday that free agent uh, Forrest Lamp, who had come to an injury settlement with the Bills, is now fully healthy. Uh, he was dealing with a calf strain during camp, didn't get to see much of him. And I know that we were excited about the potential of him added into the competition. Um, he comes back. He's also now fully vaccinated. So that isn't an issue for him. And maybe he's a guy that you get back here. He already has some familiarity with the system, running through uh, training camp a little bit, getting a getting you know to know Bobby Johnson and Brian Dable, and maybe you, you take a shot with him. And that's some that intrigues me a little bit. But you know, I do think that they have faith in the guys that they have in the room. I think that they saw a lot from Ike Butker last year that makes them confident that no matter what happens at guard, whether it be an injury to John Feliciano or Cody Ford, perhaps right now, as, as we sit here, they have confidence in, in him. But, you know, one of the things that's, that's interesting to me, you know, you said you're maybe not so on the, on the train of moving Daryl Williams inside. And I got to be honest with you, going back to the summer, when we, when we heard certain people mentioning that, I was like, man, what, what are you guys talking about? Like the guy was, you know, an, like a really top tier right tackle last year. But the way that he struggled early on, and I listen, he bounced back this week, and he he could be a really good right tackle when he's plugged in, he's playing at a high level. But if you think that Spencer Brown is ready, I have no problem with upgrading your right guard spot because I think Daryl Williams, just because of the player that he is, even inside a guard, is an upgrade over Cody Ford. And 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 you're and you think that Cody Ford is going to be a problem? Then I. I think getting Spencer Brown on the field, I think that's what we've been talking about since training camp, Brian. How are you going to get to a point where Spencer Brown actually gets to play? Now, before the Chicago game, I think the thought was he might not be ready, but then he came out and looked absolutely incredible to the point where he was the offensive version of Greg Rousseau. I mean, that's how much you want to kind of see him now in this um, setting. So, yeah, I, I think that getting him on the field, if you think that he's ready, it becomes pretty interesting, but I, who knows what they're going to do? I mean, I still, I would probably, you know, err on the side of, of giving Cody Ford a little bit more runway because to this point, Ryan, it's still been a problem. He's never had a honest to goodness run at, at a position. And we're only three games into this. He can come back out next week or who knows, maybe even two weeks and have a, a huge game against Kansas city in a tough spots. So that's where I'm at. 
No, I agree. And listen, Cody Ford, like you said, he's had the carpet pulled out on him a few times. He's had some bad luck with injuries. Um, so I'll give him a little bit more runway, like you said, real quick on Forrest Lamp. Uh, I don't know if I actually ended up retweeting that article or not, or that tweet from Ian Rappaport, but literally the first reply to it that I saw was, get Bobby Hart off the practice squad and give that spot to Forrest Lamp. So fans are, you know, some Bills fans are definitely ready to bring Lamp back into the fold here if the, if the Bills are interested. It, it would be interesting to see, obviously, two different uh, players there in positions, Hart playing tackle, uh, Lamp playing inside, and, and last but not least on Spencer Brown. <clears throat> You know, I, I'm all for easing these young guys and especially tackle. I think tackle is one of the hardest positions for a rookie to come in and, and play, uh, especially, you know, big big snap counts and things like that. But with the Bills having Daryl Williams, it wouldn't hurt if you could get him a handful of snaps these next few weeks and then increase it in the middle of the year to maybe 10 snaps per game and keep increasing that role. So that way, come playoff time, if something happens, He's ready to roll. It's not like, a, what are we going to get out of this guy? And then come mm-hmm. 2022, maybe this guy's ready to compete and win that starting job. Yeah, I mean, some people are bringing up um, Quentin Spain here uh, in the in the chat. Some of John Herrick says should have never let Quentin Spain walk. Like, I, I think he had his struggles at times. I thought he was really good and solid for them in 2019. But, you know, there's been... This offensive line, as we sit here and look at it right now, I think that the way that John Feliciano has responded in his play the last two games really solidifies at least one of those guard spots, and I think he could flip back and forth. I don't think there's a difference between him being at right guard, him being at left guard. I think they could do it. I think if they come to a situation where you know they move to a you know get Ike Bucker in the mix, I think it's just putting John wherever you think Ike is going to be most comfortable. So if that's at left guard where he played most of last year, I think John can pretty seamlessly move back to the right side. But, you know, the one guy we haven't talked about has probably been the Bills' best offensive lineman through three games, Mitch Morse, earning every one of those dollars. Listen, you go back to last year, and there were some real question marks about Mitch Morse and if he was going to be brought back this year, you know, if they wanted to maybe move in a different direction, you know, that kind of weird uh, benching after he had the concussion or maybe it wasn't a bench benching, but you know, Mitch Morse has been outstanding today. And I asked him, I said, or I, I know you're not going to answer this period, but I got to say you've, you've might, you might've had your best three game stretch of your bills career to start this season. What's been going so well for you. And he completely like deflected it. And he said, well, thank you. But I almost feel like I have a lot of work still to do. And you know, you're always going to get that reaction. Mm -hmm. But from what I've just seen watching him play, Ryan, they're getting really high level play at the center position. Most importantly in pass protection. Yeah. Real quick on the Quentin Spain thing. Listen, Quentin Spain, you know, the bills didn't have much choice there. Spain kind of played his way out of Buffalo and we'll leave it at that. It's in the past now, but the Bills didn't have much option there. With Mitch Morse, the best thing an offensive lineman can do, Matt, is not have their name brought up on the television broadcast. And I can tell you right now, I think maybe Mitch Morse's name has been brought up once in three games. That goes to show you, this is maybe his best three-game stretch, like you mentioned, as a member of the Buffalo Bills. He's someone that has built that rapport, that chemistry with Josh. Uh, he, When he was brought in, it was to help bring along a young quarterback, like he did with Patrick Mahomes to a certain extent in Kansas City. Yes, the concussions are scary. Yes, it's something that in, in the immediate future, in the near future, you, you want to have someone waiting in the wings. But at the same time, you don't want to get a guy off the field that's playing some of the best football of his career. So, you know, be appreciative of what he's doing right now. Understand the fact that, like you said, he's been the most consistent guy for this unit. He's done a great job getting out and blocking. And, and the Bills are really lucky to have this guy in the middle of their offensive line. From hot-to-go pizza and appetizers, signature fried chicken, baby back ribs and subs, to delicious salads and brownie trays, Tops has everything you need to feed the hungriest fan. Get over to Tops any night this week, but especially this weekend when the games begin again. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. Bills are going to be playing the Houston Texans. We'll get into uh, that a little bit more in depth on Friday when we preview that game. We've got a bunch of questions here and a little ba- uh, a little mailbag that we did before the show. Let's go to Cole Shelton, uh, who is uh, actually a writer for BJPen.com. Uh, must be uh, a connection from my from my former life. How much has uh, next week's game against Kansas City 
lost its hype slash appeal question mark. This was supposed to be a big test for Buffalo to test itself against the best, but Casey hasn't shown to be that. I think we got to pump the brakes here a little bit. Yeah. Casey slander. <laughs> okay. That's first and foremost. Listen, I think the bills are in a position and, and, and one of the things that I put in, and this would be like a good combo topic here. You know, I really think that after three weeks, you have a really good idea of who teams are in this league enough to make, to start really making prognostications. Like, you know, everybody before the season puts out their Super Bowl picks and their playoff picks. I'm not about that, man. Like I, I like seeing some football and seeing who these teams are going to be, how they respond to adversity and then kind of making that pick. So I'm sitting here right now and I'm telling you, I'm picking the bills to go to the Super Bowl, right? So that's without like, that's, that's a pick. That's a, I'm, I'm, I'm placing the, uh, you know, the chips on the table, if you will. And I'll tell you, I saw enough from Green Bay the other day. I'm going with the Packers. I I think Aaron Rodgers is going to be motivated to take that Packers team to the Super Bowl. And I know that there's teams in the NFC. I mean, you got uh, uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who I think they're going to get healthy. They're going to get right. I think they're going to go into New England this week and put a hurting on Billy Belichick's boys uh, in Foxborough. I I think this is a good question to really start to, you know, talk about where Kansas City sits. They go out and they bring in Josh Gordon. And I was talking, I went on a Howard Simon and I said, to me, this doesn't seem like a move that takes their offense to the next level. To me, it's kind of a desperation move for a guy who hasn't even been good since 2013. With all that said, Ryan, the original point, I still think Kansas City with Patrick Mahomes behind center at at quarterback, this is not going to be a game that loses any of its hype. They can lose this week. The Bills can win this week, and it could be three and one versus one and three, and it's still going to be this. You know, uh, the, what were they? The Twin Towers back in the day? Uh, who earthquake and uh, typhoon? Was that the was that the tag team? Natural disasters, Matt. Ah, Twin Towers. Get out of here! Don't bring up so early nineties wrestling and tell me the wrong team name. Come on, man. No, the natural listen. disasters. That's right. I. I I am impressed, though, with Earthquake and Typhoon, formerly Tugboat. All right, real quick. (laughs) (laughs) Kansas City Chiefs, zero, uh, you know, nothing's been lost in terms of the appeal of this game. This is still the measuring stick game for the Buffalo Bills. Look at how they've lost this year. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire fumbles the ball as they're driving to kind of put that game away or, or to get themselves a situation to win that game. You go to last week. You have the charges, and I love the call. Don't get me wrong. Go for it on fourth and four and then fourth and nine after a penalty to kind of say, listen, we're not going to try to kick a long field goal. We're not going to do this. We're going for a touchdown. We're trying to make it so that way they have to march the entire field, tie it to win it, whatever the case may be. So teams have been really aggressive against them. You saw it even in that Cleveland game. They know that this Chiefs offense can score at will. They know that that defense has some absolute issues. Do not get me wrong. But for the Bills, this is a huge measuring stick game. Look at Buffalo's defense this year. They better come out with a huge chip on their shoulder for that matchup because you go back to the, the playoff game, They there was I think there was one punt in that game by Kansas City, and the only reason they punted the ball was because Tyree Kill dropped a 30-yard dime right out of his hands on a third down play. Every other time, Kansas City marched up and down the field and scored on Buffalo. So the Bills won. The defense is still wants to come out and prove that they can slow this team down. Two, the offense has to show that, hey, listen, last year three of our top guys were injured. We can go toe-to-toe in a shootout with this team. So like you said, I don't care if the Bills win by 50 this week and Kansas City loses. It is a huge matchup for the Bills against Kansas City, and it's all eyes are going to be watching in that nationally broadcast game. Yeah, and I for me the 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 people that I'm going to highlight that week. I mean, I know we're not we talk so much today with everybody about this potentially being a trap game. I don't believe in trap games. Like if you don't show up to play like that Minnesota Vikings team that lost to the Bills a couple of years ago, they just weren't that good in the end. I mean, bad teams lose in trap games. If you lose a trap game in my opinion, you don't get to enter that Super Bowl contender conversation at, at any other point of the season. This is a Houston Texans team. Davis Mills, he's not very good. And it's funny because Sean McDermott said today, you know, he was asked about Mills. I think I might have asked him. And he's like, yeah, he makes all, he can make all the throws. And I feel like that's the go to stock line (laughs) for any coach talking about a player that's just blah. You know what I mean? He can make all the throws. I watched him last week. 
I watched him against the Carolina Panthers. And as of right now, from his NFL uh, highlight reel, he cannot make all the throws. And if he can, they're scared to death to let him. And actually, David Culley said this week that, you know, maybe I got to take, you know, the training wheels off a little bit. I'm paraphrasing there, obviously. But he basically said, I got to let him go a little bit more this week. Well, the problem with that, Ryan, is you let him go a little bit more. And Jordan Poyer, Micah Hyde, Tredavious White, Levi Wallace, Matt Milano, and Taron Johnson. Dude, I mean, there's ton. And, and by the way, the guy that everybody likes to bang on, Tremaine Edmonds, who I think has actually been one of their really stout, uh, you know, coverage players uh, so far this season. I think he's been really good in coverage, an area where so many people have have banged on him in the past. And I know people want the splash plays, the tackles for a loss. I get it. But I think Tremaine Edmonds is is doing certain things that people are overlooking. And I just think that it's just become kind of a fun thing to kind of bag on the guy. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, speaking of Houston, we're going to have a preview show on, on Friday night, ladies and gents, because I see some people saying, why aren't you talking more about this Kansas City defense? We will, or Kansas City, Houston defense. We will on Friday. We promise. We're going to, we'll get into the details there. But yeah, they said they're going to open up the game for Davis Mills, whatever that may, may mean. But you mentioned it. This defense will be licking their chops if that means they're going to put the ball in his hands more. That defensive line is going to look to get out there and get some pressure on him. Uh, Epineza and Greg Rousseau and company. So uh, I think the defense welcomes Houston opening up the, the offense for Davis Mills. I, I will say one thing. Through the first week and a half, and mind you, it's a very small sample size, I thought that Houston's offense with Tyrod Taylor was moving the ball pretty well. They looked really good mm. in week one against Jacksonville. They were going toe-to-toe uh, with the Cleveland Browns before he left that game with an injury. So, you know, th- there's more talent there than I think a lot of people uh, expected overall. But Davis Mills has to be able to get the ball to those playmakers and to those players and the the running backs are going to have to create some lanes where I think Buffalo is going to you know dare them to uh, run the ball a little bit. So it's going to be really interesting to see how that all unfolds. But you know I, I really think that when all is said and done, uh, the Bills match up so well against the Houston Texans. Mm-hmm. Man, Brandon Cooks, uh, watching that guy play, you know what I think? <laughs> I think he's like a really good version of John Brown. I think he does a lot more. I, I almost kind of envision what this offense would have been last last year. And I know he's had his his struggles staying healthy as well. But man, him paired with Stephon Diggs last year in this offense, you know, or even, you know, had they not gone out and got Emmanuel Sanders, like cutting a trading and bringing in a guy like Cooks, like, man, that could be totally special. But that's kind of beside the point. Some people talking about Houston's, Houston's defense right now. I think their secondary uh, is a bit of an issue too. And I think, if they're able to generate some pass rush, I know Whitney Merciless is a really good player. And you know, listen, on the Shout Football podcast, we give the people what they want. You want a little Houston right now? I'll give you a little Houston right now. And, you know, because I think that there are going to be challenges and how they scheme things up against Josh Allen, I think is going to be interesting. I don't think that they have the horses in their secondary to cover these wide receivers. And I think Stefan Diggs, for as politically correct as he was today talking about all of this, you know, he wants to get out there and make some plays. And I think that in front of the home crowd against the Houston Texans, he's going to want to go out there and do that on Sunday. Yeah. I think, like I said, this is a big opportunity for him to have a, a game <laughs> where he goes off and has a, a nice statistical performance. And we you know we mentioned last week, we thought last week was a get right game for Josh Allen. And sure enough, it proved to be the case. I think not, not a get right game for Stefan Diggs, but a, Hey, don't forget about me type game where he's going to have maybe one fifty in a score when all is said and done because this is a team that he can uh, absolutely put up a lot of stats against, record a lot of receptions, make some big plays in that passing game, and the list goes on and on. So I think this is going to be a great game for him as well. Matt, there was actually a a fun question uh, in in the mailbag that I want to ask you. You ready for it? Who on the team is most likely to win the lottery but then lose the ticket? Wow. That's going to get me in some trouble. That's uh, that's not fun. That's uh, that's a trouble starter <laughs> right there. All right. Um, you know, that's a good question. Um, you want me to go first? I have my answer but- locked and loaded. <laughs> I'm going to go with Isaiah McKenzie because the wind's going to take it and drop it straight down in front of him. So he's going <laughs> to. I'm sorry, I just can't. After last week's game, I've watched that kickoff so many times. I still don't know what happened there. 
I, I know he's inexperienced in this role. I still think he could have come up and made a play on that. I think that's just part of his part of not, you know, being used to being the return man. But that's why I kind of had to make that little that little jab there. But yeah, I'll, I'll go with Isaiah. McKinney so wait a second, right why 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 did you say I I can't? I missed I missed that there. I you know I just okay. I, I feel bad for the guy because he he doesn't have a ton of experience in Buffalo doing this. He, he it was Andre Roberts' job for the last few years, so. I feel guilty. The wind, I think, was a legit factor, but I have watched that play so many times. I think that a more experienced guy would have still been able to run up and make a play on that ball. So when I saw that question, like Isaiah McKenzie, he has the ticket, but then he, you know, the wind brings it straight down and he loses <laughs> it. I'm going to go with Tremaine Edmonds because, man, I've not seen a player as as much as I will stick up for him. I have to say, when a when a, when a ball is coming to him actually catching it and intercepting it. So I think if a guy was going to ever get a lottery ticket and then, um, you know, drop it, uh, maybe that'll be Tremaine Edmonds. Another question in the mailbag was, what's your favorite throwback ever? Your your favorite uh, NFL throwback jersey. Do you have one? Oh, yeah, I do. And it's not a Ooh, Bills jersey. You're ready to go. It, it's, it's the powder blue Chargers jerseys. I have always loved those jerseys. I was very tempted as a teenager how, how old would i have been ladinian tomlinson like 2001 <laughs> yeah I, w- I would have been still relatively young there high school i would i wanted to get it one of those uh baby blue chargers jerseys of tomlinson back in the day just because i loved the jerseys and, and i i really respected lt as a player as well but those are my favorite jerseys of all time what about you matt i got it i'm bringing it in right now i'm gonna show it on the screen the look at that Ryan Talbot. Look at that. It doesn't that stop bring you back to just better days. Now, this is actually this isn't the real truth thing there. I think this is Jameis Winston. So they threw they wore the throwbacks. The original creamsicles were like just beautiful. So I, I mean we, we both it, have like no, I get it. You have the creamsicle, I have the powder blue, so I get it. There's something about those colors there. Um I do see a few people agreeing with the Chargers. You know, I love it, love it. Uh, the Bills had some pretty nice throwbacks as well, but they're just not my favorite of all time. With that in mind, why don't we bring in Sarah Holland now? She's going to bring in a couple things. There's been some some chatter in the in the comments. They've been uh, some some great discussions. Sarah, how are you this evening? I'm great. How are you guys? Good. We're good. We're good. Sarah is a you know, full time student at the University of Buffalo, and she's also what, what's your other gig now? You, I, I seen it's uh, it kicked off this week. What do you got going on? Yeah, so I'm doing some sideline work with the um, UB club hockey team. So they have their first game on Friday, which is pretty exciting. That's awesome. So she's literally just like, she's got her hand in a little bit of everything right now. She's going to be doing some Bills stuff. She's got the hockey stuff going on. Now you grew up, like you told everybody last year, uh, last week, a Washington sports fan. So I know you're excited for hockey season to get started uh, oh, in, sure. in your capitals. Don't tell the Sabres fans because they'll, they'll get upset. <laughs> but all right. Bring in uh, the first topic from you can either go with the chat or we're going to bring one of the stories that we just put up on the site. All right. I will go with the story because it was honestly, I was super interested in reading it. Matt wrote a wonderful story. You can check it out on Syracuse.com or New York Upstate. And it's about the Texans head coach, David Coley, returning to Western New York. Um, He was a quarterback coach for the Bills in 2017 and 2019. And he's coming back to Buffalo. And he included a pretty funny quote in the article, Matt did, um, that uh, Coley said that when he comes back to Buffalo, he's coming back to whip their butts. I actually, you know, laughed when I read that. Um, and obviously the Texans are huge underdogs coming into this game. So um, I kind of wanted to see what you guys thought about, you know, Coley returning to a team that he's familiar with. I think Coley is, he's an interesting guy. Like I, I still am flabbergasted that he got the job over Leslie Frazier this is a guy that has never been an NFL coordinator. And, you know, uh, I know that Leslie Frazier struggled a little bit in uh, Minnesota, but he's a guy that, you know, has been so influential, you know, in, in developing this Buffalo Bills defense. And he's a guy that I think guys want to play for. And just even hearing David Culley today talk, like in this, if you go to this and read the article, you can go to the video interview that the Texans uh, media team put out and hearing Culley talk about his experience in Buffalo and it almost like he knows how to build what the bills have built because he was around at the beginning. And I'm kind of just like hit pump the brakes here, Dave. 
Okay. Like you were here, at, you know, during Josh Allen's rookie season and things did not go great. And I feel like it's probably a blessing in disguise that he did kind of take a promotion to Baltimore. They let him be, I think it was an assistant head coach or a passing game coordinator. I can't remember the exact title, but things went better after David Culley wasn't here. And so I think that for him to say that, you know, I think that the loosely paraphrasing here, he basically said, I've seen it before. And that's how I know what we're building here is going to be what, where the bills are now. And it's just kind of sitting there like, are we, have we had our head in sands all in the sand all off season? Is Deshaun Watson still getting paid not to play football for the Houston Texans? Listen, I get trying to, you know, put on a brave face and put on a good, you know, PR slant on things. But man, I just think the guy is a little bit clueless, but we'll see. Maybe he'll come in this weekend. He'll have his guys ready to play. And Sean McDermott said it. Hey, if you're not ready to play, you're going to get your ass kicked. Little, little, little <laughs> language so, from yeah. Mr. McDermott today. Yeah, you know, I, I chuckled when David Culley said they're, they're going to whip their Buffalo's butts and things like It's like the Washington General saying we're going to whip the butts of the Harlem Globetrotters, and it's the, the team that they've lost to like 16,000 <laughs> times. It's like Barry Horowitz saying that he's going to whip the Ultimate Warriors, but I'm bringing in a lot of 90s wrestling here, Sarah. I'm very sorry. You're so young. You're like, who are these guys? Uh, Ponderosa now, Barry Horowitz. You're going to be Googling a lot of stuff with this show. But, you know, you just have to sit there and chuckle because you look at that roster. You don't want to overlook a team ever. But I just don't see a scenario where that team comes into, into Buffalo and really tastes it to the Bills. Do I think it could be closer than that point spread? Yes, absolutely. But I just don't see a, a shocking upset like that happening this weekend. Well, I did actually also see some more questions in the chat about Vernon Butler. I wanted to bring that in really quick because it was talked a lot about frequently in the beginning. And I saw a lot of mixed emotions about his play so far, um, many contradicting opinions. So I wanted to hear your guys' opinions on that. Yeah, I think he's been fine. I think he's had moments where he's been good. I think Leslie talking about how good the Bills run defense has been. I think Vernon's had a pretty decent little hand in that he's not going to flash necessarily um even going back to the one year that he had the sacks uh i think that earned him the 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 contract you know you go back and watch him in games and it's he doesn't jump off the screen at you but he does a lot of the little things that right now you know you know people in the comments talking about leslie frazier building the you know the 85 bears defense here with the bills well i do think that they have a pretty good grasp on their personnel and what works and what doesn't. And I thought something interesting happened the other day, Ryan, like when, when Sean was asked about Zach Moss and how he handled being inactive the one week. And Sean basically said it wasn't a direct message. It wasn't something we were going out of our way. I do think that there was a numbers element to the, to that equation that forced their hand with, with Moss, but he said in an indirect way, he was kind of glad that maybe it sent a message that you're not guaranteed a jersey on game days and you got to come in and you got to show up. And you, I think that that might be what's indirectly happening with Harrison Phillips in a contract year that when he does finally, I thought Justin Zimmer probably had his most blah game of the season last week. I thought he was, he wasn't as effective. I didn't, I didn't notice him in the defensive backfield. I almost feel like Justin Zimmer, a lot of ways as a pass rusher, he feeds off other guys around him having success. And when guys aren't like I thought Mario Addison, Jerry Hughes were really underwhelming on the rewatch. Justin Zimmer just isn't as effective. So I think Harrison Phillips might be in line for maybe an activation, whether it's this week or maybe against the the Chiefs. We'll see. But he's going to have to take full advantage of that opportunity. Yeah. And again, you know, Butler's been fine. Justin Zimmer, uh, I think he's been good for the most part. But like you said, this last game, he didn't jump off the page. You obviously already have Star Latulale and, and Oliver as your starters. So it's just, you know, there's only so many jobs to go around. But the fact that the Bills are still playing Vernon over a Harrison Phillips, that kind of tells you all you need to know about what they feel about him uh, and, and the matchups that they've had so far. So he's not going to be be someone that jumps off the page on a week-by-week basis. He might have a nice game here and there. He, he's just, you know, part of the rotation. He's not anyone that, that you're going to get too excited about. I know he's a former first round pick, but he's just not a game changer by any stretch of the imagination. Sarah, did you want to go uh, somebody else? Yes. I also saw a lot of comments again earlier in the chat about the lack of um, play that Boogie Basham has had. So if you guys want to go off that and just talk a little bit more about, you know, why he hasn't really seen the field so far this season. I, th- I think we've covered this plenty of times. I know people are, I, they, I think they want to bug. I think they want to get their dance shoes on. Like this is about the time. 
in in Western New York, in Buffalo, they I think the world's biggest disco, right? Do they do that in town here? So I think people I are think just, you know, they're getting hyped up. You know, Halloween's in the air, fall's in the air. People want to, you know, maybe it's like a dancing thing. I don't know. But we've told you over and over again, Boogie Basham, where he is at the depth chart, where he is in his development, he's not going to get Greg Rousseau's spot. He's not going to get AJ Epinesa's spot. And so if those spots aren't available, he's not going to, you know, f- healthy scratch Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison even after a bad game. So there's just, there's not enough numbers yet for him. 100%. I mean, that's perfectly said. Even look at what happened to F.A. Obata. Uh, F.A. Obata suffers uh, an injury in practice right before the Game 2 matchup, and he's inactive for that game. It's like, well, he suffered the, the injury on Friday. He'll probably be ready to go Week 3. Well, he was inactive Week 3 because of all the pressure probably that A.J. Epineza had. The fact that Greg Rousseau had two sacks, that Hughes and Addison were playing well. <laughs> so even now, in addition to Boogie, you have F.A. Obata, who's in front of him, who's not getting on the field. It's a good problem to have, Bills fans. I know you want to see these players on the field, but it means, one, the Bills are healthy, and two, they have p- players that they feel are better right now ahead of them who they want to see get the, the lion's share of those reps. One question that uh, from Dave on Twitter was, why is the team continuing to protect only three practice squad players? And I think I think the, the answer there is just that it's a numbers game and they don't, they don't feel the need to, to protect more than that. Um, who was, was Cam Lewis? One of the protections this, this uh, last week here. Uh, I just shared. Yeah. Cam Lewis, uh, Josh Thomas, and I'm blanking on the third right now. Jamil Douglas, right? Jamil. Yes. Jamil Douglas. So they've been so, three for a few weeks now. And to me, that's, that's the group. I think if Jack Anderson was still in this roster, he'd get a protection as well, but I don't know if there's a lot of fear uh, that the Bills, if they lose anybody else on their practice squad there, uh, they got some pretty good numbers at a lot of key positions. And I and I think it just comes down to that, Ryan. Yeah, and, you know, listen, I'm not saying there's strategy involved with it either, but you look at these teams that are protecting four <laughs> guys. Later in the year, one of those players will come off that protection list because of injuries or some yeah. other reason. And, and maybe a team will sit there and say, you know, they protected this guy for eight weeks. There might be a... He might be worth kicking the tires on, bringing in, taking a look at at them. If you're a team like the Jets, if you're a team that's looking to build up your roster, uh, improve your talent. And I don't know how, you know, that's just me speculating. I just think maybe there's something with that. And the Bills are like, well, you know, here's the three guys that we're protecting. There's a safety that we really like. He was really good. The Bills obviously have a lot of safety depth. Cam Lewis, I think, is a legit protection. They, They know that they're one injury away from needing him. And then Jameel Douglas, who didn't wow us in training camp or the preseason, still has a lot of experience in the NFL, someone that you want to protect to make sure that uh, you have waiting in the wings in case you need him. All right, everybody, we're going to get out of here before we get it to this one-hour mark. We're going to be back on Friday for our official uh, Houston Texans preview show. Take a little bit uh, of a deeper look at that opponent. And we will also uh, bring you more coverage from Orchard Park. Hopefully we'll get a chance to talk to some more people um, at the facility tomorrow. Are you hosting a large party this weekend? Check out Tops's huge selection of party platters for a delicious, effortless, and affordable, no stress way to impress. For complete details, stop by their carryout cafe or visit topsmarkets.com slash fantasy foodball. You guys were awesome tonight. Thank you so much for Ryan Talbot, Sarah Holland. I am Matt Prino. We will see you on Friday. Take care of everyone. Shout a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot.